Hello and welcome to the After Sermon Podcast, where we learn about a Bible topic, character or concept and break it down. And today we're learning about the image of God as we study the sermon by His hands. Being made in the image of God, it gives all life innate sanctity and innate value. You can't really get to meaning through the scientific method. You can't get to it through a sensory method of, of observation and testing. These ideas are super important because it's not just a theological idea that stays in your head. These ideas, these concepts, have massive ramifications for the way in which we conduct our societies. Hi, my name is Christopher, and ladies and gentlemen, you are in for a treat. Because today we have someone who hasn't been on a podcast since, I think, episode 4, Buy High, Sell Low. Uh, And I think this is our 14th episode, which would make it your, well, it would make it 10 episodes since we've had you on, Mr. James Sullivan. How are you doing, James? Uh, Yeah, I'm doing pretty good, thank you. Um, Yeah, I'm currently studying at uh, the Australian National University. I'm doing a Bachelor of Commerce with some philosophy kind of thrown in. and yeah, eager to start my you know next little podcast thing. It's been a while. It has been a while, but I really enjoyed having you on last time. So yeah, it's great to have you on again. And this one, I think, will be very, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this topic, we've got um, something quite interesting in uh, in store for you guys. Yeah, some um, very. Very. Well, let's get right into the recap, but just before we do, if you haven't watched the sermon by his hands, go to the link below and come back here later, because this podcast is full of spoilers. Now, with that out of the way, let's get into our recap. So, essentially, this sermon by his hands uh, sought to answer the four big existential questions of life. No matter where you're from, no matter where you've lived, Uh, people are always going to be asking these questions. Number one, who am I? Number two, where did I come from? Number three, where will I go when I die? And number four I left is a mystery question to begin with. So we explored uh, different explanations that have been given throughout history. For example, Hinduism uh, teaches a lot about this idea of reincarnation. So that's what happens when you die. Uh, Islam, as far as what happens when you die, has a big emphasis on judgment uh, and also has a lot, of, a lot to say about where humans come from being made by Allah. And then actually one of the oldest uh, monotheistic religions, Zoroastrianism, has a similar idea of judgment uh, after death as well. And the final one we looked at was Scientology, which I definitely don't have the time to explain here, but it has a hugely long backstory about aliens and evil dictators and uh, alien spirits and nuclear bombs, all just to explain where humans come from. It's it's insane. Um, and so we kind of looked at this idea that humanity, we always, we just want to know the answers to these questions. Humans, we are obsessed in our search for identity, to be able to know ourselves. And yet, we've never come to a one consensus on this topic, which is crazy when you think about it. It's the one question we all ask ourselves, or all these four are the big questions we ask ourselves, and yet in all of history we've never come up with a solid answer for it. 
And so we decided to instead look at uh, a biblical point of view as to what the Bible says in answering these questions. So, you know, we looked at answering number question number one, where did I come from, with seeing the creation of Adam, uh, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are made by God uh, with his hands, with his own hands, and it portrays this intimate and this very personal and relational view of God. And in the same way, we read uh, David in the Psalms, he gives this uh, interesting metaphor where he says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Again, this idea of God using his hands to create people uh, in his image. And so that answers our first question. Uh, where did I, or who am I? Uh, as well as where did I come from? Uh, you know, where uh, humanity is made in God's image. And then where will I go when I die? We find out in uh, Genesis chapter 3, and I believe it's verse 17, when humanity falls and they become infected with sin, uh, we are informed that humans, they just die. Uh, We came from dust, and to dust we will return. But thankfully, the story doesn't end there. Thankfully, we read on that God has a plan to save humanity, uh, and so, of course, God sends down Jesus, Uh, in human flesh, and then Jesus dies in our place, taking that punishment or that judgment for sin that we deserve. And the big kind of twist there is, it's the exact same hands that were nailed onto that cross for our sins, that were the same ones that created Adam and Eve in the garden, or created each one of us. God really just demonstrates his love to us, through his hands, which is this really cool, um, just kind of, oh, what's the English term for it? Like metaphor? Yeah, it's it's basically a metaphor uh, of this of God expressing himself and his divine love through his hands for us. And so then we've answered these first three questions, and they help us to answer the fourth and final mystery question, which is, what is my purpose? We know our value and our worth because we are made in God's image. Uh, We find our identity in Christ because now we know we can see how much God loves us. Who am I? I'm a child of God and God loves me so much that he's willing to die for me. And then one day, where will I go? I'll be dead for a while. To dust I will return, but we have hope and eternal life because of Jesus. And so this question now becomes, what is my purpose? We figured out where I came from, the beginning of life. We figured out where do I go when I die, the end of life. The question is, what do I do in the middle of these two points? And Paul writes to us, um, he says, we have a duty to reflect the image of God. We were created to reflect God's mercy, his kindness, his love and compassion. And so we are then expected to try and be like Christ. Where humans fail to do that, Jesus perfectly fulfills it. And so now we are called to do the exact same thing, show other people the love of Jesus that he showed us on the cross with his hands, and then hopefully bring more people into his kingdom. So that was essentially the sermon. And James, I'm interested to know, what was your personal takeaway? What did you get out of this sermon? What was the most impactful thing for you?
Well, the hand symbolism thing is something that I've never thought about before, so that was quite interesting. The thing about identity and how identity might be the most, or one of the most at least, the uh, uh, meaningful things that one can um, kind of attain in life and how we've never actually been able to give a, a, a true objective answer for that. Um, it's it's almost kind of ironic mm. because it's almost as if humans are designed to find out who they are and yet at the same time, paradoxically, you know, walk on an earth that is set in such a way that we can't without pointing to a higher, um, you know, abstraction or uh, deity. So you get all these religions kind of popping up to, to answer the question and... Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it seems to be the most effective way um, yeah. to do that. It's true, because, um, well, think about Adam and Eve in the garden. None of them are facing identity crises or existential crises. You know, they know who they are. They're just chilling. They're chilling with God because they can be in his direct presence. But as you said, we're kind of put on this earth where we don't have that same direct connection that Adam and Eve had with God in the Garden of Eden. Yeah. But we still have this instinctual knowledge that our identity lies in something transcendent of ourselves. Something, yeah. And we often attribute that to the divine, which, as you said, is why we find all these religions. Yeah, and, and, the, and the deeper aspect of it would be um, the, like, like expanding on, on what I meant about the earth thing is that what we can really see in this dimension that we've kind of been, you know, thrown into um, or, say trapped in is what we is basically what we can process through our senses and mm. stuff and so we don't have any um or we have very very limited connection to that spiritual realm compared to adam and eve and um you know and and others that may have found secure identity in that um and yeah, um yeah. and that causes us to try and find empirical empirical objective um truths in the um, post-experimental era sense of the word to try and find meaning. And the problem with meaning is it can't be logically derived um, through empiricism. And so, you know, uh, people are like, what's the meaning of life? And it's like, okay, well, what's meaning? And then you have to try and find it out and then you end up just getting more nihilistic because you can't really get to meaning through the scientific method. Mm. You know, you you can't get to it through a sensory method of, of observation and testing. It's just something yeah. that seems to be, at its root, created, just like emotions or something like that, you know, or something that isn't really, um, you know, grounded in reality or valid. Mm. We can't find a valid, grounded in reality kind of meaning to life. Yeah. And what is our identity? <laughs> it's kind of just a construct. Um yeah, yeah. And you might even want to call it an illusion. Um, and, you know, what good are illusions? And so, especially in 2017, mm. um, you know, the, the 21st and, and 22nd centuries, it's just going to be full of nihilism. And that's one of the things that Nietzsche predicted. You know, as soon as you take away God, or any religion, mm. in fact, and you leave people to, you know, you just leave people up to their senses to try and, um, you know, empirically derive meaning from the earth... They're not going to be able to do it, and eventually it's going to collapse into nihilism and, and meaninglessness, and then that gives rise to all mm. kinds of hedonistic living, like you know, just 
live yeah. and experience as much pleasure as possible before you die and then you turn to dust and, and that's about it and so yeah well i'm glad you uh mentioned nietzsche because that's actually going a little bit more into uh our main meat of the podcast the cutting room floor james what is the cutting room floor the cutting room floor is the segment where we discuss the parts of the sermon that didn't make it into the final product and break them down yeah so before james you mentioned a little bit about uh nietzsche now, James, you're going to have to clarify. A lot of the listeners at home are probably going to be thinking, is he referring to Frederick Nietzsche? But but uh, who are we referring to? Oh, that's a pet of mine. <laughs> it's like every movie about Nietzsche ever refers to him as Nietzsche. Nietzsche? It's so bad. Uh, so what is, it's, a, it's just what is a proper way to say Nietzsche. his name then? Friedrich Nietzsche. Friedrich Nietzsche. Can you say that, audience at home? Friedrich Nietzsche. He, he was a very influential um, philosopher um, about a century ago. Um, yeah, German philosopher. He basically drove himself into madness writing all about um, his concerns for, for the future culture, essentially, and what happens. But, like, he actually spent a, a large part of his writing just criticizing in Christianity, he really didn't like the the religion that much. He much preferred religions like you know, like Buddhism and stuff like that. But even still, he saw the significance in it. Mm. And um, one of his biggest concerns was that um, Western culture was predicated on the belief of the divine individual and um, and and the objective meaning um, that Christianity can uh, provide all of humanity. And when you strip that away. When you strip the foundation of culture away, what you're left with is first segregation and then war, essentially. Um, so the whole, the whole hierarchy just collapses when you, when you remove the foundation. And, um, I think we're just starting to see that now. We're redefining our ethics as, as we speak, essentially. Um, you know, like, so, for example, sexual ethics have radically changed and, you know, changed a lot of um, the worldviews of, of the, the culture as, as a you know as, as a main ideology well let's uh, let's have a look first at uh, what what it is that Nietzsche oh my goodness am I saying it right Nietzsche Nietzsche yeah Nietzsche Nietzsche yeah Nietzsche uh, yeah let's have a look first at the kind of uh, integral beliefs that Nietzsche was referring to uh, that were important uh, for society which derived from Christian morality and actually these are uh, quite a few of the things that we referenced in the sermon so let's begin with the premise that humanity is made in the image of God to refer to in the sermon so when we understand that humanity is made in the image of God uh, we now distinct we now make a distinction between humans and uh, animal kind animals uh, are beneath humans in terms of the fact that God gives dominion and stewardship, like a responsibility to humans to take care of the animals. But also humanity being made in the image of God, it gives all life innate sanctity and innate value, uh, which means you, can't, you cannot morally justify things like sexism, racism, or slavery. Uh, in Genesis 9-6, uh, if you want to look that up, listeners at home, it refers to the fact that you cannot justfully murder someone or take the life of another human being because um, 
of uh, the fact that they're made in God's image. Yeah, and, and so we value. Um, yeah, they have innate value. Yeah, which is just an like an incredible concept to derive, like from from a from an atheist point of view. It's like, you know, give me a few good reasons why we should believe that everyone is born equal, for example. Mm. And a lot of the like, I have this bone to pick with this new kind of um, excuse for Christian morality called humanism. It's essentially where <laughs> you take. You take all of the um, morality from from Christianity and put it into like an atheist mode, so so as to um, kind of give you all the good things that Christianity provided, while taking away some of the things that um, that you might see as kind of restrictive but not harmful. For example, sexual ethics. Yeah, it um, makes you the one accountable for morality now. <laughs> right, right. Um, but the problem with that is is that. There's no actual logical way to get there. The most logical form of ethics is utilitarianism. And even utilitarianism has its flaws. It's like, if you want to logically derive ethics, first of all, you have to logically derive the fact that you have free will. And that's just mm. an incredible thing to prove. I mean, determinism, boom, you're dead. There's, you know, there's, no, um, there's no justice then, because if you do a bad thing, it must have been the case that you... You know that, that that you couldn't have done otherwise. Yeah, so you can't hold someone accountable to that then. Right. Um, for for the listeners who don't know what determinism is, it's essentially the, the doctrine that suggests that because your brain is is strictly part of the um, the physical world, um, that it is just as subject to the cause and effect relationship between things um, between other things in in the physical world. For example, if you whack a tree with a hammer it might cause a dent in the tree in, in the same way that if you have an experience it might dent your subconscious in such a way that causes you to make a choice um so all of the choices are predetermined by your experiences and and the, the chain effect of that um so straight away that that throws it out the window and um and and the whole egalitarianism thing it's like who's to say that you are just as valuable as me um you know like why can't I say that because you're on my land, you're my property? Or because you rely on me to survive, you owe your life to me. Why mm. can't we say that? Um, you know, and so it kind of like, it steals these ideas um, unjustifiably from, from Christianity. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, and it's, these ideas are super important because uh, it's not just like a theological idea that stays in your head and is like cool knowledge. These uh, teachings or these ideas, these concepts have massive ramifications for the way in which we conduct our societies. Um, so this idea, for example, of sanctity and innate life and also free will, as you mentioned, plays a big role in our society. So really, if you were to think of it, here's how important uh, this idea is. What are some things that differentiate us from animals? What are the things that make us different from animals? All right, animals can procreate, so it's not that. Uh, we can communicate. Well, <clears throat> uh, animals communicate as well. Dolphins are like some of the smartest animals that we, uh, you know, they have this, one of the smartest uh, languages or ways of communicating. Um, all right, you say, what about uh, humans are self-aware? Okay, well, what about people who perhaps have mental disabilities and are essentially vegetables? 
Are you saying that they are no longer human? The idea of, yeah, so uh, the image of God is literally the only thing that we can come up with that really distincts us from animals. Uh, so then also we have the idea, God's philosophy of basically running a nation or running a people is love the Lord your God, so love God, and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, and so not only does that tell us t- to respect other people uh, and the innate value of people's lives, but it also, the idea of being made in God's image also tells you to have respect for yourself. Uh, that can refer to your uh, your personal health. Um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5 that, uh, don't you know that your body is a temple in which the Holy Spirit dwells? And so he actually gives that uh, as a reason to not do any acts which are sexually immoral, because it's actually uh, it's actually not respecting yourself and your body. And also from this idea of the humanity made in God's image is the idea that God makes humans distinctly male and female. Now this idea actually leads to stability in relationships within society because we see uh, monogamy and marriage. Uh, God gives meaning in sex because really if uh, the idea of con- uh, if the concept of gender doesn't mean anything uh, within uh, sex, where does it really matter to be honest? It, it doesn't have any bearing. And this idea of stability in relationships also promotes the idea of controlling uh, an individual's sexual impulses and loving a person not just because of this lustful attraction, but for who they are as a person. That's a really good segue into essentially what Nietzsche uh, was trying to say uh, when he makes that statement, you know, God is dead and we have killed him. And I know a lot of people misinterpret that as Nietzsche going, like, saying hurrah, you know, he's clapping and he's going, yeah, finally, we've uh, gotten rid of the shackles of superstition in our society. But really, uh, James, if you could elaborate a bit more on this, Nietzsche's actually giving a bit of a a warning, isn't he? Yeah, he basically wrote a paragraph about a fictional character who went crazy, um, you know, the madman. Um, and basically warned everyone about um, the the threat of nihilism and meaninglessness as a result of the death of God. Um, I think one of the one of the I'm just trying to remember bits of it off the top of my head. Um, he basically asked like this this like a whole sequence of rhetorical questions. Um, one of the ones that stood out to me was, um, "Do we not feel the cold breath mm. of empty space?" or something like that. And he's referring to just the, the pure emptiness of the universe and how that's just so cold and um, yeah, uh, so dead that, um, you know, it's, it's stupid to think that anything could actually yeah. have meaning in, in such a universe. And you're just a complex pattern of this, of this dead universe, you know, at, at, at its core is dead. Um, yeah, and another thing he asks is, uh, now, along these lines, and paraphrasing, now that we've killed God, don't we have to now take his place in order to even be worthy of it? Right, yeah, that's what he said at the end. It's like, um, yeah. So, And uh, and we've seen that a lot. It's like, because humans have been created, um, and I think I think this is just the, this, like the nature of heaven reflecting onto God's creation, but 
animals, even lobsters, like right down to that right down to that level of intelligence, create dominance hierarchies for social stability. And mm. humans are very good at at making these hierarchies and kind of sticking to them as a war. Um, you know, lions and elephants and and lobsters and I think even fish, like some species of fish, kind of sort themselves into into a social <laughs> hierarchy. It's it's re- wow. yeah, um, and because that's how heaven is, and, and that's what God is. You know, so God's the top of the dominance hierarchy, and then you know you have you have all the all these other 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 layers in heaven. And when we were creating God's image, when God made the world, um, obviously, you know that kind of reflected that um, that attribute. Um, mm. So. Yeah, and so the problem is when you chop off the top of the dominance hierarchy, who's going to be there? Yeah, you need and then, need something to connect everything else, um, and we call these things idol. It's something that everyone can come together, you know, under the same umbrella and and be united under. Um, the problem is when you chop God off the top. Um, what else is going to unite everyone? And so you know, grab the person with the most influence, and who mm. who has the most influence? Well, pop stars or actors, you know, entertainers, because everyone, if there's one thing that everyone has in common, it's that they want to be entertained um, at least a few times in their life, you know. Yeah. Um, Not everyone's an intellectual, not everyone's a politician, um, not everyone's a hard worker, but everyone likes a bit of entertainment. And so these people have enormous influence because, you know, the industries are massive because everyone wants it. Um, yeah. The problem is also um, is that the people that that succeed in these businesses are the ones that represent our desires, and maybe our desires are lustful. Um, and so the popular singers and the popular actors tend to have exaggerated sexual um, properties in every sense mm. of the word, like m- mentally and physically. Um, and if we put those people at the top of the hierarchy. Um, what happens is the entire culture, the, the entire industries, like the music culture or, or the film culture, um, they start to represent these bad values. Um, I haven't seen a music video to date that that has been extremely popular and not sexual in the past yeah. five years. Oh, you know what they say in the industry, sex sells. Exactly. Um, and therefore, our new leaders are basically sexually objectifying you know pieces of meat and, mm. and and there's our role models there we go that's what we have that's because because there's the there's the deepest desire or one of the deepest desires of humanity and yeah. so we top and worship it and yeah and that's basically hedonism in a nutshell um yeah it's quite bad <laughs> Yeah, and as as you were saying about this, um, someone's got to take over, one of the kind of things that's filled that is humanism, like you were saying before. Take all the good stuff, but now with no moral accountability to a higher person. Now we're the top of this dominance hierarchy. Right, yeah. And um, I'm actually studying a philosophy course right now called What is Humanity? And uh, it's funny, a lot of it is literally just trying to find an excuse for humans to be either on the same level as animals um, or, or above animals. And you can't wow. really find yourself either. Um, so you kind of just yeah. re- you resort back to just what you feel. 
um, mm. you know, or just, you know, we're we're just a wave of the universe that's um, that's just being, and that's the fun yeah. answer. There's no other substance to it. Um, but yeah, that, yeah, that's the reality of the the meaninglessness in our culture. Um, mm. Well, let's kind of map out if we can the kind of consequences of what happens when uh, God is essentially dead in society, which, as you've mentioned, we kind of see that today. We look around in our culture, and we're not so concerned with the morality that God sets out. We're more concerned with creating our own morality. So let's say we eliminate God from our society. The first immediate thing we lose is objective truth. Right. Um, There is no, like, constants. There's nothing which is the truth anymore. Um, and so that leads to a loss of objective meaning, as well as a loss of objective ethics and morality. Now, both of those things essentially create uh, what we refer to as postmodernism. And postmodernism thought has uh, led to a lot of these uh, new developments that we actually see in society, because now we make our own meaning. And often that meaning, uh, as you said before, or that purpose that we try to fill uh, is just finding more pleasure over pain. And that kind of leads to self-indulgence. And then our loss of objective ethics leads us to what is perhaps the most common philosophy that you will hear today. And that is, do what you want, just don't hurt anyone. Just don't hurt anyone, you can do what you want. And so that leads to self-indulgence again. So it's like this vicious cycle. Loss of objective meaning, it leads to essentially hedonism and self-indulgence because you're trying to find pleasure over pain. And loss of objective ethics leads to the philosophy of do what you want, just don't hurt anyone, which is basically trying to find self-indulgence. Uh, and again, uh, it this idea, this philosophy, uh, doesn't take into consideration your own well-being. When we say we're made in God's image, Uh, we say, well, that gives you innate value, Uh, so take care of yourself. Whereas this one, you know, this philosophy is not so concerned with that. It's concerned with the well-being of others, but doesn't have any concern for your actual uh, life, which is interesting. Right. Now, uh, as far as self-indulgence goes, and you've mentioned this, you've touched on this a bit before as well, James, earlier on, uh, it's led to, a, we saw this movement a lot in the 60s, uh, and especially we're seeing it more now, and that is of sexual liberation. Yeah. And this movement has, it, it, it essentially promotes lust, uh, because it's purely about, again, self-indulgence and finding pleasure over pain. Yeah. A lot of and people will argue that self-indulgence society, sorry, yeah, go for it. is... Like it might actually lead to a fair, like a, a fair amount of pain, you know, in in later stages of life. But the problem isn't like okay. Never assume that humans are purely rational, because we'll always find a way to rationalize our irrational beliefs. Um, because fundamentally, we're driven by me. Logic just leads to all kinds of like logic is a really, really, really important tool. Um, but if you ideal. If you idolize it, it's going to lead to beliefs and determinism, mm. um, and, and and nihilism and um, and utilitarianism, 
It can like, lead to very cold and sterile ideas. Right, because that's the nature of our of of, of the reality that we're grounded in. It's just yeah. dead, right? Um, so, yeah, never believe that humans are just purely rational. And the problem with um, like ideolo- ideologies like um, uh, like hedonism and stuff like that. Um, isn't that people are going to try and maximize pleasure over pain. It's that people are going to um, justify things that will cause them pain later with the notion that life is about seeking pleasure. Mm. Um, And so it's kind of like it, it creates a very, very, very easy way to be blissfully ignorant of the bigger consequences of your actions, including societal and cultural um, consequences. For example, yeah. the, objectifi- the objectification of women through um, the, through the loss of meaning in sex um, yep. through um, essentially nihilism, postmodernism, and this idea that you should just do whatever you want and not feel like it. If, if we actually take this to its extreme and just do whatever brings us pleasure that we can justify just through the fact that it's not painful at that moment, then sex will completely lose all the meaning it's ever had. Of things, yeah. it's like a lot of the liberal um, guys like to, and like I'm not. This, this isn't this isn't a hit on the whole side of the political spectrum, but but a lot of them, you know, it's characteristic of that side to believe in this um, this notion that you should do whatever you want, just don't hurt anyone. So I'm going to say liberal. Um, one of the things that they really, really don't like is the objectification of women. And then one of the things that they really, really don't like is you telling yeah. me what to do with my body. And that's a, that that's a, that's kind of a bit, a bit of irony there because um, if I'm just going to do whatever I want with my body and have sex with lots of people, reduce the meaning of sex, mm. that actually causes objectification because, mm. um, you know, because... You're using the other person yeah. to a tool for your own pleasure, and as long as you're also pleasurable um, for that person, that's completely okay. Um, and so you have to really look at ethics like this. Yeah, it's not about bringing you short-term gratification or nourishment. It's about the the flourishing of society um, in the long term, and a lot of that is connected to the stability of the society. And the mm. stability of the society is highly predicated on the, stu- yeah. of the stability of the family. Um, and the stability of the family is highly dependent on mm. um, the, 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 the meaning in sexual relationships um, because that's what holds them together. And when you remove that yeah. basis that sex is pleasurable, therefore you should do as much of it as possible, um, the, although it's pleasurable in the moment, it's going to have massive cultural and societal effects that you do not want. Um, and it's going to cause a lot of disability. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what... That, yeah, and that's what Nietzsche was afraid of, hey? The fact that if we create this culture uh, which promotes these ideologies, it actually uh, is ineffectual. It's, in, it's, um, it's unsustainable because the society will become unstable. Yeah. We shouldn't just do what we want because it's pleasurable, you know. Um, I think Kant, a lot of people um, believe in this too. Um, as, as prejudiced against women as he was, he did have a very good point about universalism, which is that 
Um, a huge part of ethics should be that if I if 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 I make it so that I'm allowed to do something, I should also assume that everyone else is allowed to do that too. Um, and that's one of the things you have to think about in with with regarding this is okay. If I allow myself to fulfill um, my gratification for pleasure in these particular ways, and I that, then I'm I'm assuming that everyone else is 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 cool with that as well, um, and they can do that. Um, and when everyone else is allowed to do that, uh, like I said, things get messy. Yeah. And and now, you now you have the entire music industry that's basically just corrupt with this objectification um, perception of women. Mm. Yeah, it it is uh, it is a bit ironic how we have uh, the same people often, as you said, who are promoting we can't objectify women, you know, sexually, but then we'll also say. Uh, but make sure you remember you can do what you want, just don't hurt anyone. Um, that leads to an objective. Yeah, uh, and I found this recent study uh, in Australia, uh, only from the thirtieth of June, so it's ve- of of this year, so it's very recent. Oh wow! And it found that um, the average age of first exposure to pornography is declining. The median age of first viewing for boys was 13 years old. Yeah. And for girls, it was 16. Yeah, well. Um, and it said... Yeah. Um, if it brings you pleasure, that's what you should do. Yeah, yeah if it brings pleasure, uh, you're not hurting anyone, you know. You're not hurting anyone directly. Should be fine, right? This, this would be like the uh, ultimate existential crisis for someone holding to the do-what-you-want philosophy because it's like, do what you want, <laughs> oh, okay, I want to watch pornography, oh, but don't objectify women sexually oh, man. but you said you could do what I want uh, 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 yeah. they're like in this well, constant loop just trying to figure out where, how to escape it but yeah, it says the study found uh, that 80% of young men said they watched weekly and among the women uh, two-thirds said they watched at least monthly and these were all people from, uh, they tried to get age 15 to 29. Our culture has shifted, like since the 60s, we've gone nuts in that aspect. The interesting thing is, um, Jesus says to his disciples while he was here on earth, he goes, look, uh, the end times, like as you get closer to me coming back, things are going to get worse before they get better. Uh, and in fact, he compares the times that we'll be living in to uh, the days of Noah. And if you read in Genesis chapter 6, uh, I think it's verse 3, it says, The heart of man knew only evil. And we've seen time and time again, whenever people try and abandon uh, God's morality, uh, that we end up doing evil. We saw it in the, the book of Judges people did was right in their own eyes and it was evil in the sight of the Lord people are just going around killing one another and all this uh, treacherous stuff we saw it uh, in 1798 in France um, the French people actually outlawed the Bible for three and a half years until uh, they decided you know what uh, we kind of need some morality let's get it back the French government actually brought it back just for the sake of morality Uh, If you want to learn more about that, you can actually go to ASP episode 9 or episode 10. I honestly forget, but it'll be in the link. 
uh, Rise of the Khmer Rouge. And so essentially, uh, what we're seeing here now is probably not in the same capacity a very violent or a very uh, aggressive form of obedience to God. We're seeing it more in our cultural paradigm, the way in which we are conducting ourselves morally. We're not going out killing people, like, you know, like in the times of the judges, um, but we have abandoned this kind of moral paradigm that God had in mind for us. So really, I think when we come back to it and we see uh, God's ideal for society in which, you know, we have a moral basis for treating people equally, we're able to answer those big questions in life, finding our personal identity, understanding where we came from and where what happens when we die, and then filling in that space uh, in between, it gives us a an objective truth and meaning to life. It gives us an objective morality to live by while we're here on this earth, and it prevents us from falling into these traps like nihilism or hedonism. And so really, um, yeah, I hope uh, listeners at home, you've been uh, just convicted as we've been talking about this, just of the importance and significance there is in this understanding of who we are being made in God's image and the ramifications it has uh, for our lives personally and also for our society and culture at large. So Christopher, do you have any recommended readings? This week I'm going to recommend that our listeners go back to the Sermon by His Hands and look at the different parts of the Bible uh, that were included in the sermon. Now, in the sermon, I was only able to look at a select few verses. And so I would recommend that if our listeners want to get a better understanding of this topic, read the chapters that we touched on in their entirety. That way you can get the full context, and that way you can study it uh, and get the the most out of that analysis. So yeah, I'd go and recommend, uh, go to the sermon by his hands. The link will be in the description below and just go through those little spots, uh, those little stops that we make throughout the Bible. Alrighty, and where can these people find you? Well, they can find me here every fortnight on the After Sermon podcast, as well as on my YouTube channel, Christopher Peterson with an S-E-N. And speaking of the podcast, James, guess what? The After Sermon podcast is now available on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes and Podbean. We're on everything. So make sure to subscribe and follow us on all our platforms. And also go check out our Facebook page. Uh, make sure you like and follow us there because you will get uh, a week in advance the sermon that we will be discussing the next week. So you can understand the topic uh, and the Bible verses and texts we're referring to. You need a whole week to listen to that in advance before the after sermon. Well, thank you so much for supporting us, guys, and for listening in with us. That concludes today's podcast, and we hope you've been blessed as we discussed by his hands. Make sure to come back in a fortnight for another episode. And with that said, have a good one, and good night.